Hi friends, my name is Tracy and I'm so glad you joined us for this episode of the Abundant Living Podcast. This is your podcast where you can discover how to better serve Christ, create great friendships with like-minded ladies, and live a more abundant Christian life. Before we dive in, remember you can find podcasts like this and so much more on a website at christianladiesfellowship.com. While learning more about this unique ministry, you can also read articles, find resources like books and music, sign up to get helpful devotions delivered right to your inbox, and click the link to join the conversation in our Facebook group. Thank you for joining me today for episode number 37 of the Abundant Living Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Burns. After this podcast, there's only five more Fridays until the end of the year, and I plan to bring you an episode for each one of those. Normally, I have everything written and ready to record several weeks before the week the podcast will post, but with how busy things have been around here, I'm now running week to week, which is kind of scary for an ahead of time preparer like me. However, I'm telling you this now as a commitment to bringing you content consistently for the next few weeks at least. That being said, no matter how busy you get in the coming days and weeks, don't forget to share the podcast with another lady. In your favorite podcasting app, there are always ways to copy the links to specific episodes and then you can send them in a text or even post them on your own social media. I appreciate those who are using this podcast to help other Christians. And as always, I love hearing from you about how the episodes are helping you too. This episode was derived from an article I wrote about six years ago for a publication called The Baptist Magazine. I feel like even though it's been a few years, the subject is still very relevant in today's world. As a lover of all things history, I find it fascinating to dig into my family's genealogy. I've had relatives on both sides who have done a lot of work to find out many of these details, and they've documented almost all of it. On my dad's side, they've gone back as far as the 1500s in Sweden, while on my mom's side, the family historians have actually gone all the way back to the Dark Ages in the early days, even before England was a country. It really is amazing and intriguing. Recently, I took a look at some of the branches in the family tree, and I kind of fell down that rabbit hole. I learned that on my mom's side, my ninth great-grandfather was a man named Edward Doughty, Edward Doughty came over on the Mayflower, and his name is on the Mayflower Charter. I also had two great-grandfathers who fought in the Revolutionary War. One who lost a couple of fingers to a cannonball in the Civil War fighting for the South, and one who fought from the trenches of France in World War I. Both of my grandfathers fought in World War II, one in Europe and one in the Pacific. I have a great American heritage all the way back to the Mayflower. That fills me with such pride of country and also makes me feel the great responsibility of doing my part to preserve my beloved country. For hundreds of years, the United States has been a worldwide symbol of endless opportunity. Visionaries and dreamers have come to her shores with hearts filled with possibility. Throughout the history of our great nation, any person can make his way with a little imagination and a lot of hard work. My ancestor, Edward Doughty, came to America as an indentured servant, earned his freedom, and became quite a mover and shaker in the Plymouth Colony with his own land, house, and servants. He lived the picture of what we now call the American dream. Every mother desires for her children to have the best chance at a fantastic future. She dreams of rearing her little ones to become young adults with purpose, character, respect for others, and a solid moral compass. However, 
you might be thinking, can this dream still be a reality in the America we live in today? Wherever you turn today, you can hear so much disheartening talk about the future of America. Some believe she can scrabble back from the brink of utter destruction, while others dispel of certain impending doom. There's a plethora of rhetoric out there, and it's in our face constantly through TV, internet, and social media. I grew up on the edge of everywhere. My family always lived in that suburb that hugged the edge of the urban sprawl and that gave way to the concrete jungle. My brother and I were close enough to the city to ride our bikes on concrete, yet far enough away that we never had to worry about staying on the sidewalk or using crosswalks, unless mom was with us. In the summer, my mom would make sure we looked halfway decent, fed us breakfast, and sent us outside with a don't come back inside until lunchtime. If she had only known how far we actually rode on our bike, she might not have said that. Hey mom, we went to the other side of town today. It was only seven miles there and seven miles back. Where we lived was not quite small town USA, but it was very close to it. We had a great mom who loved us and cheered for us in all we attempted in our little lives. Dad worked hard. He was consistent. He led our home with strength and love, and he made time for us in all of our growing up years. We were taught to work hard for what we wanted and to take pride in everything that we did. We learned to keep our word and to respect others. Our parents never let anything, including my brother and I, get in the middle of their relationship. And because of this, they became a great example to both of us of what a happy marriage is all about. Remember the old Andy Griffith show? In recent years, my children and I have enjoyed the reruns of those shows. It warms my heart that even to this new generation, Barney, with his one bullet in his shirt pocket, is still hilarious. The Andy Griffith show portrayed the ideal American town. In 2021, my family and I took a fun detour while on vacation in North Carolina to a little town called Mount Airy, the real Andy Griffith's hometown on which the fictional town of Mayberry was based. Even in the 21st century, it still has that warm, small-knit community feel that you would hope it would. In the fictional show, Mayberry was a town not without its problems and drama, but it was a community filled with people who had good hearts with the best intentions. It promoted the stability of families with a mom, a dad, and respectful children. Dad went to work and came home happy to see his family and enjoyed spending time with them. Mom did her best to meet the needs of her husband and children with a cheerful spirit. Even with the not-so-perfect homes, there still remained a family structure under which the children could thrive. Andy and Aunt B found a way to do their best for Opie in an otherwise not-so-ideal situation. Fast forward 60-ish years. Just imagine the Andy Griffith Show if it were set in today's modern-day America. Aunt B would own the house, so after his messy divorce and custody battle... Andy would have to move back home with her. She'd always be frustrated at trying to help support him and Opie on her meager social security income. And she'd be irritated at the fact that Andy came home from work and played video games for several hours every night. Barney would come over for beers before he and Andy went out with the guys on Friday night. But Andy would blame all this partying on the need to unwind from all the racial tension at the courthouse, always fearing civil unrest from how the media would falsely spin anything that involved the Mayberry police force. Opie would never ride his bike or play outside, but have his eyes glued to his smartphone while flipping his long hair out of his eyes. Never would this little family eat dinner at the table, but Opie would just microwave pizza rolls to eat in the dark of his room in front of his computer. He would be sullen and withdrawn, 
spoiled from all the material things that Andy showered on him to make up for the lack of parental attention. Doesn't this sound like the worst and perhaps most boring television show ever? Sadly, today's America is filled with unhappy homes, similar to the one I just described. Yes, America is still the land of opportunity, and so many Americans still want to achieve the American dream. But the difference today is that very few want to work for it. Children are spoiled by getting everything they want. Notice I said want, not need. Because mom and dad refuse to say no. Kids aren't being taught to work for the extras because mom and dad want their children to feel accepted and to fit in among their peers. Parents would rather put a screen with access to the wicked world in their children's hands than to send their children outside into the yard or onto the driveway to play. My parents' generation were the hippies who rebelled against their parents. These parents were the Americans who grew up struggling through the Great Depression and fighting in World War II and the Korean War. To the baby boomers, it seemed that their parents, now known as the greatest generation, didn't understand them. However, in spite of their rebellion, the baby boomers retained the character instilled in them by these great Americans. As a result, the baby boomers' children, my generation, were taught to work, were well aware that not everyone got a trophy, and heard the word no often. The damage done by my generation's rebellion is spoiling our children. We've given them everything that we would have had to work for in our day. As children, we got new shoes for school with no name brands and extras. Now, this generation's children get the nicest name brand shoes. We got a bike, while this generation's children get a motorized skateboard, ATV, and a brand new car at age 16. We got an Atari with Pong and Space Invaders, while this generation has an Xbox, a PlayStation, a Nintendo Switch, and an entire roster of downloadable games. We would steal away with the cordless phone to talk in the other room and get in trouble for doing so. This generation of children are given cell phones with unlimited access on their 10th birthdays. We're destroying the next generation with one want at a time, regardless of whether our intentions are good or not. I am the mother of two great teenagers. Do my kids think our country's doomed? Do they believe they're destined to grow up in a country where it is a faux pas to be a true and outspoken Christian? Of course not. They simply look to my husband and I for their much needed love and security. They get excited when we order pizza for dinner. They just want to beat us at a competitive game of Uno and this want us to listen to the stories about their day and to dispense the love and encouragement they need. They still enjoy taking a bike ride or a walk together as a family. They're young, wonderful, and innocent, freshly on the cusp of independence and brimming with potential. If I relied on my country to help my children grow into the Christian adults that God wants them to be, I would be a fool. While Christians have known for many years, the eyes of all parents have been opened in recent days to the degradation of our children through the public schools. Daily, we hear of atrocities committed and wicked lifestyles being encouraged. Godless teachers stand in front of classrooms, molding little minds to humanism and agnostic lifestyles. Children are belittled and reprimanded for praying or carrying a Bible or even just speaking of the Savior. Even under the guise of religious education, children are being indoctrinated with apostasy and being led away by the seducing spirits mentioned in 2 Timothy 3. The message of do what feels right or listen to your heart is being pumped out into society by the godless of this world. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. 
Humanistic philosophies like these will most certainly destroy any chance our kids have at growing up to realize the true American dream while remaining godly Christians. So, is keeping our children unspoiled and holy while instilling the necessary character even possible in society today? Well, I believe that there's hope. I grew up with two amazing parents who loved each other. To anyone, they seemed to carry all the tools needed to instill in me the character to grow and become a balanced adult. However, these two amazing Christians I got to call mom and dad pushed me to discover and develop even more character from other Christians within my church and school. My high school principal was a man named Greg Beal. Still to this day, Mr. Beal is a Christian school administrator whose passion is educating young people so that they can go on to succeed for Christ. Decades ago, he left his job as an engineer with Boeing to work in the Christian school. I believe Greg Beal will be a mighty wealthy man in heaven because of his lifetime of investments in the lives of young people. Daily, and maybe without realizing it, he instilled nuggets of character into me and my fellow classmates. One particular lesson that stays with me to this day is how he would ask students to pray for each other when they had tests that day. We would go around the room and certain people would volunteer to pray for specific students. When there was hesitation, mostly due to the prayer being said out loud, and we were insecure teenagers, Mr. Beal would always say, what goes around comes around. If you want someone to pray for your test, you should pray for someone else's. Because algebra and I almost destroyed each other in ninth grade. I needed all the prayer I could get, so I would volunteer, while somewhat reluctantly to pray for others, mostly out of desperation to pass algebra. But guess what? The lesson stuck. Praying for others is one of the greatest things a person can do for a fellow Christian, one of the greatest ways to give our love and to show Christ. I often think at the end of the book of Job how the Bible says that God turned everything around for Job when he prayed for his friends. I think of the last part of James 5.16 that says, Pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A lady in our church named Patty took a special liking to me when I was an awkward junior hire. She and her husband were newly married and looking to start off their lives together on the right foot by getting involved in church and into the things of God as much as they could. Patty would let me come over to her house, pay me to clean her bathrooms, and teach me to use a computer. She would always talk about how great her husband was for being hardworking, kind, and funny. As a young person, I wanted to be that kind of a wife one day. And I wanted to have a husband with character whom I could admire and brag about, just like Patty did about her husband. She embodied exactly what Titus 2, 4, and 5 says about the aged women teaching the younger women. In the Christian school I attended in fourth and fifth grade, there was a music teacher named Mrs. Hackett. She would come into our classroom once a week and teach a bit of music theory while also creating some music appreciation. She would bring her violin and play while we sang. I grew to love singing and even took up violin later on in my high school years because of her. Mrs. Hackett once said, I will give you one of the best ingredients for being a great church member. Learn to play an instrument. If that's not your thing, learn to sing. If you can't carry a tune, cheer on the musicians and the singers. This way, everyone can participate in the church music. To this day, I still love to sing. And some of the darkest days in my life, I have found myself with tears streaming down my face, singing the words, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. 
My soul is replenished through the songs of God that through many faithful Christians, one especially being Mrs. Hackett, I learned to love and appreciate. While I could go on to name Christian after Christian who is willing to teach me and to show me how to live a dedicated Christian life, I want you to think back to those who helped you become who you are. Who was that Christian who enabled you to make it? Maybe you had an Aunt B who nurtured and encouraged you. Maybe there was a Sheriff Andy that taught you character in a simple, attainable way. Who was your Mr. Beale or your Mrs. Hackett? They probably have other names, but each of us have had that youth worker, Sunday school teacher, family member, and even pastors who have made all the difference for us. They loved us and nurtured us and taught us a priceless piece of character essential to living a successful Christian life. They helped to equip us for a productive future. America is no longer filled with small towns made up of friends and neighbors who are always there for a person when the chips are down. But our Baptist churches are. All in all, we're not alone in this fight for our children's futures. We're surrounded by fellow Christians with nuggets of character and wisdom to strengthen our children's future. We can still rear our kids in an untainted America, teaching them to love, to work hard, to respect others, and to honor Christ. The church, the Christian school, and the home are all workshops where our building materials of character will lay the foundation to keep our children on the right paths while preparing them to stand strong against the godless who want to destroy our country. Don't feel insecure when your kid makes that teacher or youth worker their hero. Instead, be overjoyed that another Christian has your back. You can revel in the fact that this Christian may be able to teach your child something that you could not. Be joyful that you're not alone in the fight to raise a great American and a balanced Christian in our great land of opportunity and possibility. You can believe that with our Christ, our convictions, and our character, that our children can grow up in a country where their heroes are not found on a music stage or on YouTube. Our children can have heroes who stand for what's right, honor the Lord, work hard, and keep their word, and love America. You and I can't fix this country. No political movement, no politician can fix this country. However, together, on our little islands within this country that we call home and church, we can prepare our little construction workers with the toolboxes of Christian character. When we send our grown children out into the world to make their ways and to do whatever works that God has for them, our America will be a better place because of our contribution of some great Americans and dedicated Christians joining the ranks. My kids are still young and unfinished, but despite the bad outlook of our future as a nation, I have hope. Dark days have come and gone throughout history. In fact, the clouds of uncertainty will continue to drift by as they always have. You or I may not be able to change an entire country, but I believe that small town USA can exist within my home and in every home when we determine to raise our kids according to the word of God. If you enjoyed this episode of the Abundant Living Podcast, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app so that you are notified when a new episode is posted. Please rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. For more helpful content, be sure to check out our website, ChristianLadiesFellowship.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you're leaving with some great things that will help you to live more for the Lord, make amazing Christian friends, and serve the Savior every day. 
Let's go show the world just how abundant the Christian life can be. Until next time.